while you're getting that, be the third chapter. Like I say, we're glad to be here tonight and feel the goodness of the Lord and hear the testimonies of the goodness of God. We will be leaving for the IMA conference, uh, and we will be back here October the 2nd. Now, our family seminars that we've been talking about will be as follows, if you want to write these dates down, and we'll have some papers for for you uh, to pass out, plus we'll try to get it in the paper. It'll be October 6, 7, and 8, which is Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and October 13, 14, and 15, the next week, which is Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. That's at 7 o'clock p.m. That's Seminar on the Family. That is the role of the husband, what God expects out of him, the... Uh, uh, before marriage, what God expects out of young people before marriage, the role of the wife, the virtuous woman, what God expects out of them, the children, what part they play. We'll be dealing also with health, what we can do to better live a healthier life, and also concerning finances, God's law on finances. It uh, helped me out a long, long time ago, and I think if we recognize most of the time we don't recognize that God has laws for us to follow, and if we will do this, even when it seems dark, God's way is always the best. Now then, the ABC conference is going to be at Noxipator, October 4, 5, and 6. That's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So in order for us to make at least two days of that, that conference, why we will dismiss Wednesday night service, which will be October the 5th. You remember now the seminar begins on the 6th, so we won't be missing any services at all. But that's the only way we could fit the seminar in until sometime in November, and I felt like it was important perhaps that we get it in before then. So if you know any young people, old people, whatever, that's desirous. This is good for grandmas and grandpas too, amen, as well as the married and the unmarried and uh, the single as well as the rest of them. Because someplace, somewhere down the line, if it's too late in our life, to fulfill some of these, we can pass on the wisdom of God to someone else. And we need to be able to do this. We need to be able to sit down and speak to people that's in trouble and show them God's ways. Now, it would be nice if people would recognize that before they get in trouble, uh, which would help considerably because when we get in trouble we become nervous and we become upset and we begin to wonder if God's ways would work at all. And I'll tell you what, it's harder to cool yourself out of a hole <laughs> than it is to never get in one. Just walk right straight down the line with God. So we're going to be doing that and our services, of course, will be Sunday school, Sunday morning, as usual, Sunday night service. We're going to enjoy some good things of the Lord. Brother Bill and I were out again looking at property. Everybody wants to become a millionaire overnight when it comes to buying property. <laughs> so we're, we and my wife and I looked at a couple today. Uh, one was too high, the other didn't look suitable uh, out on old 8th Street Road. And uh, one individual just wanted $55,000 for about two and a half acres. <laughs> And another individual had two acres for $5,000, but it set kindly off the road. Real pretty spot, but it set kindly back off on Pine Tree Lane, back behind a house. It, of course, there's an easement to that, but uh, 
it would be hard to tell people perhaps how to get there. So you keep praying someplace, somewhere. God has got something good for us. And uh, we're going to continue to believe God for that. We dealt last Wednesday night on one of the greatest subjects there is in the Bible and one of the most needed in the hearts of individuals, and that's the subject of love. I found out that it's probably an inexhaustible subject. We will be dealing tonight on that, and then there's probably four more nights that we'll be dealing on the subject of love, God's love, what it is. There may be in several times some repetition, so you bear with that because school is repetition anyway. All right, so that doesn't hurt us any. I want to read, if you won't mind standing, from the third chapter, the Apostle Paul's prayer, as well as his writings to the church at Thessalonica. You notice he presents, the Apostle Paul always presents a father-mother image. He's really a loving sort of an individual that has a care in his heart for all the churches that he had a point in establishing. Goes on, wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, third chapter of 1 Thessalonians, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning and hated to see vain labor. He always wanted whatever he did to be able to accomplish. But now, they, but now when Timotheus came from you to us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity that you have good remembrance of us always desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you therefore brethren we were comforted over you in all of our afflictions and distress by your faith for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord for what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith now god in himself and our father and our lord jesus christ direct our way unto you and the lord make you increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as we do toward you to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before god even our father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Father, we pray that you would add your blessings to your word tonight, that you would speak, Father, and give us the word to speak and anoint the ears of those in the congregation that they might hear what you would desire to speak to them tonight. We'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Focus your attention especially upon the last two verses of the prayer of the Apostle Paul for those uh, faithful saints at the church at Thessalonica and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as we do toward you to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God even our father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints little background of course never hurts this letter was written somewhere between AD 50 to 54 approximately 20 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and approximately 15 years after Paul's conversion 
with the exception of Galatians, it's probably one of Paul's earliest letters. And the express purpose the Apostle Paul has for writing this is because of his love and concern for this people. He had a reason for that, because he had answered what is known as the Macedonian call, and it established a church in this seaport that was at that time 300 years old, had a population of 200,000, and it seemed to tie Greece together. And the Apostle Paul came from Philippi, and he had spent only three short weeks with building this congregation when the opposition of the Jews forced him to be smuggled out at night. And so his concern for them was so great, he realized that he had really given them a crash course concerning the basics, fundamentals of salvation, their faith, the resurrection of the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, his coming, Christian living, and all of this. And he realized that he had actually given them a crash course because he was aware that those that followed him around from the Jewish synagogues would be on his heels and would be forcing him out. And so he actually gave them a crash course in that, and he was concerned about whether they were established in the love of God enough for them to wither the persecution that was coming their way. And for that reason, he writes to Timotheus and uh, receives an answer. And in this, he says in the 12th verse, he wants the Lord to make you increase and abound in love one toward another, and toward all men, even as we do toward you. And he gives the reason why that is necessary. And when we read the soul-moving prayer of this man, Apostle Paul, for the Thessalonians, he invites us actually to explore some three questions. Number one is, where does love come from? Number two is, does love actually grow? Is it just something that is initiated and that's as far as it go, goes or if it grows, how does it grow? And what does love actually do? Now you have to realize as you read, the Apostle Paul does not take love lightly. The love of God had established him. He'd been called out as a man that was actually thinking he was doing God's will. He never thought he was doing wrong. He thought he was destroying a cult that was trying to destroy what he believed that his God had established. And he's going about with letters, uh, doing exactly what he'd been taught to do. Although his doctrine from the synagogues was erroneous, they did not recognize the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul felt definitely in his heart that he was smothering out something that threatened to destroy what God had established. God could see that. He knew that. And he knew that if he could get this man Saul of Tarsus, who took what he knew in his religion so earnestly, if he could get him, he knew that he would have someone that would work for him as much as that time as he was working against him. So you never know what God is going to do with individuals that seem to be running them off and seem to be taking things uh, and going the other way with them, that's following erroneous teachings and maybe even involved in cults, so to speak. You never know what God is going to do. You see, we can't see it, but God sees and looks down into the heart and knows that if he could ever get the heart of that individual, what a blessing he would do, would be. There was just one thing that could ever turn the Apostle Paul around, and that one thing God did, and that is meet him on the road to Damascus with a light that was brighter than any sunlight, 
and strike him down and let him know who God really was. And when the apostle Paul said, Who art thou, Lord? Then God gave him the answer. He says, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And so that turned him around, and he did not take love lightly. For one thing, God had introduced his love for him into his heart. He understood that if God could love him so much to call him out from that and forgive him of the murder and imprisonment of his people, then God must love very deeply. And when the love of God entered into the Apostle Paul's life, he did his best to cause it to grow and cause it to abound that he might be able to love like his master loved. I thought as I stood in uh, more or less and surveyed this thing, what a commitment that that ought to be in our lives to learn how to love as Jesus loved, to learn how to do as Jesus does. And you'll notice the Apostle Paul was committed to a life that was radically Christian. Oh, you know, we shrink back from that. Oh, that guy's radical. I'm telling you, we ought to be radical. The Apostle Paul was radical, and he knew. He knew what a drastic change had to be wrought in the lives of these Thessalonians if love was to be their law. And he knew that that's the only way they was going to exist. By the way, that's the only way the church of God has ever existed. That's the only way that we're going to exist in our day and hour in persecutions that abound, and we already have them in a sense that perhaps get worse, but that's the only way that we're going to be able to survive, and that's have love as our law. Let love begin to uh, be the law of our life. And so he prayed, and then he wrote this. He said, May the Lord make you increase, or... May the Lord make you grow and abound or become rich in love. That was his prayer for these individuals that he had just spent three short weeks with. And so he introduces a question then, where does love uh, The Jews were causing uproars and imprisoning Christians and so on and so forth. And they were having persecution and the very trial of their faith was under attack. I thought as many of us spoke tonight, our faith is being tried. Now, we may not be imprisoned. We may not go under the whip, the cruel taskmaster's whip. But our faith is being tried through the mental stress and strain of this present day world. And the only way we're going to exist in this and still hold our faith in God is to have the love of God in our life. It's to go back always and realize how God loved. How did he love and where did that love come from? And always seek to know that. And how do we do that? The need for love then was critical. need for God's love is critical today. And they needed love for one another, which in all actuality is the love of God. Did not the Bible say, He that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And so the world, when we say, I love God, and when we make that declaration, is actually looking to see if we love God's creatures, see if we love God's creation, see if the church, the test of time is during the midst of everything that is happening, can the church maintain its love one for another, regardless of the difference of belief and what have you, can it maintain its love one for another, and then can, by the same token, can it reach out and embrace all humanity. Bible tells us that that's the way people will know that we are Christians. 
And Paul saw and heard what was going on uh, in this church that he had just builded and was run away from or had to be smuggled out in the night in order that he might continue on. And he didn't dare point these individuals to any other source. Now, I want you to notice as much as I believe that individuals ought to speak in tongues, as much as I believe in the baptism in the name of Jesus, as much as I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and as much as I believe in all of these things, outward attributes and manifestations of a Spirit-filled life, as much as I believe that, then you've got to realize the Apostle Paul did too, but he dared not point them to that as the ability to be able to endure. He pointed them to the very simple fact of divine love that comes from God. Surpassing all of those things. The Bible tells us that. Surpassing all of those things that ought to be things that's painful and things that hurt us. And we need to learn how to love in spite of that. Learn how to love in spite of the pain inflicted on us of ourselves. Learn how to love our enemies. And more than anything else, learn how to keep loving in spite of the pain inflicted upon us by our brothers and by our sisters. Still learn how to love. That's God's love. Had he quit loving when humanity crucified him, we'd all be lost, wouldn't we? But he continued to love just the same. And because he wanted to introduce these individuals to a mature love, not an infantile love where individuals can only love themselves. Have you ever noticed an analogy on that that an infant comes in in the world and he comes in crying and screaming and as he grows, for the first several years, he don't love anybody but himself. What he wants, that's what he wants. Irregardless what anybody else might want, just give me and hand it to me and feed me and what have you, and uh, that's infantile love. But after a while, they begin to be able to interact with their playmates and learn how to kindly love them and share with them. And eventually they grow up, and uh, if, if they're real nice and good-looking boys, you get a wife, and then you learn how to love her besides your parents, and then you have children, and then you learn how to love your children. And, that, and then after that, it just keeps increasing, increasing until you just learn how to love. That's why Paul said you might love to a degree, but I want you to learn how to love like Jesus loved, and I want you to increase or grow in love. You see, love is growth, not an infatuation. It's not something that just goes bang and you got it. It's something that the love bug might bite you. That might be true. And, and it does, but that is something that's going to grow and grow and grow and grow if we will allow it to do it. So the Apostle Paul realized that they needed something and the best authority. How many of you know that if you really want people to know something, you turn their attention to the best authority on the subject? Amen? I want to know something about Pepsi-Cola. I'm going to ask Brother Gene about it. I believe he's going to know all about it. If I want to know something about what's going on in the police force and uh, something about law, I'm going to ask Brother Bill about it. I wouldn't know nothing about it. And uh, some of you others that work out, uh, I'd ask you about the things that you know something about. And so the greatest authority on love and on this subject was Jesus. And so Paul immediately turns their attention to Jesus. And he lets them know that Jesus brought the love of God into human life at our most painful moments and at our most painful points. In other words, Jesus 
knew every circumstance that we undergo. He's already been touched. Notice the scripture. He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities and suffered in like manner even as we and yet without sin that he might purchase us our salvation. He has been touched. He has been touched by uh, everything that you are undergoing tonight, everything you will undergo. He's not a God way up there that don't care. He's touched by that. He's touched by your infirmities. He's touched by your disappointment. He's touched by your uh, human failures. He's touched by that because he knows if you love him way down deep inside, he knows there's something tearing you apart there, and he's touched with that. And Jesus touched the history of humanity where it bleeds the most. Some areas the Bible will tell us he shared our poverty. Nobody has ever been poorer than Jesus. And sometimes when I look at the demands of humanity today, and myself included, I really get ashamed of some of the spiritual things that I let go in my life because I'm reaching for something that's going to die. When I go to the grave, it's going to do me no good. Jesus shared the poverty of humanity. The Bible says the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't even have any place to lay his hand. If we're poor tonight, we've never been any poorer than the Master was. Came from the portals of glory, took on human flesh, and came down and dwelt among humanity, the poorest of poor humanity. And he experienced our loneliness. I get lonely sometimes. My wife and I was raised with our children all around us for years and and uh, we're just simply home folk, and we get lonely sometimes. We sit there and we wonder, looks like one of them could call. Looks like some of them could write. Looks like some of them could come, you know, and all of that. And did you know you can just be surrounded with people and still be lonely? Amen. You know that, don't you? And that's the way Jesus was. He was always surrounded with people, but someplace, somewhere, he was just lonely. And he experienced a lot of loneliness, I suppose. A lot of areas in which we find where his friends deserted him, where he had to, where they didn't understand him. I mean, all the spiritual move in his life and his heart, and as he realized that the awful moment of the crucifixion was coming, and he tried to make them understand, and they didn't understand, and so he just had to walk off in some place by himself. He had to find the only place and the only presence to get cure his loneliness, and that's in the presence of that which indwelt him. But I think the loneliest time of all was when that which indwelt him seemed to have forsaken him when he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that which had always succored him and that which had always helped him seemed to be nowhere around as he was suffering that. And he experienced the awful loneliness of even God deserting humanity. I want you to think about that for a few moments. God never actually deserted that body. He couldn't have because he had said in his word that he never would. But there was a feeling of desertion. There was a feeling of loneliness. And when we have that feeling as if God doesn't care about us, if, if God has simply deserted us, we're not there anymore. Remember, Jesus experienced that. He knows how you feel right now, tonight, or tomorrow, or yesterday. You're not all there alone. He experienced that. When it seemed like humanity had forsaken him and finally 
that great omnipresent God, which was the greatest thing in that human body of Jesus, in his humanity, he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He experienced our loneliness. He encountered our hostility. A long time before we've turned on him in our simple ways of, of hostility, when we turn on him and say, God, where you at? Why didn't you do what you said you were going to do? We get hostile to God. We just will admit that. But that doesn't mean anything. He experienced our hostility a long time ago when they deserted him, when they spat upon him, when they smote him, when they scourged him, and when they crucified him. We was there. We was there. Humanity was there. We was there. We would have done the same thing. Or we would have followed the fire off and never said a word whatsoever. So he has encountered our hostilities already, and he still touched. He still loves. In, in spite of all that, nothing has erased the love of God in our life. I wish I could get that to us. Nothing could erase the love of God from our life. If we go to hell, he's still going to love us. Amen. His love is not going to decrease. And anyway, he's still going to love us. He don't like what we do. And sometimes we walk wayward and sometimes even his compassion and his love can't draw us back where we ought to be. And there's going to be individuals that's not going to make it into the kingdom of God. But it's not going to be because God didn't love them. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that love will remain until the last church bell has rang its ring, the last factory's been shut down, until mankind makes his home down below or in the boat above. God still loves. And he has endured our rejections, rejecting him in all areas. We don't realize that sometimes because we accepted him in our salvation. But God is asking us to grow, and Paul is pointing these uh, Thessalonians to the fact that they should grow and abound and grow rich in love one toward another and showing about Jesus he endured our rejections and remember when he stood there and they cried out uh, crucify him crucify him give us Barabbas rejected how must he have felt and do you think that that kept him from loving what was it he said father Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, God, help me to experience just a fraction of that type of love. Help me to know what it is all about. And he shouldered our sins when he said, It is finished. He, he tasted our death when he said, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. In other words, Christ knew how to love when and where it was the hardest to love. His friends failed him. He still loved them. His enemies conspired against him. And he still loved them. Now Paul knew as he was writing to these individuals that persecution was jabbing this small band of people from the outside. And what he was afraid of more than anything else, that they were being chased from the inside. He realized that nerves were raw. <laughs> persecution will do that. He realized patience was rubbed in on those individuals that they were trying to endure as a congregation. Much like the congregations of the world today. And if we're not careful, if we don't have the law of love in our life, it can, uh, it can divide. It always does. You see more churches, more divisions in churches in this day and hour than ever before. And it is not because of the people from the outside. It's because of the inside. People fail to know the law of love of God. To be able to put up with one another. 
amen, to, to be able to remember that somebody might have had a bad day and to be able to put up with them and let their patience begin to work because you may have a bad day one of these days. And uh, Paul realized that. And he knew no quack remedy was going to help that. I mean, you, you can get hyper, you can get hyper faith, and you can get all types of things going, and uh, you can get all types of, of programs and all of that. But when those programs are gone, you have to have another program. And when that's gone, you're going to have to have another one. When that's gone, you've got to have another. And finally, you reach to the place where there is no more program, nothing else you can do, and then bang, the bottom falls out. But if you can introduce individuals to Jesus Christ, the reality of Jesus Christ, to establish themselves among Jesus Christ and to realize that he is love in spite of pain, and you establish a church, a relationship on that, and all the gates of hell can't prevail against it. It's going to stand when the world's on fire, and when you see everything else exploding, this type of a church is going to stand. Paul knew that. He knew that three weeks of teaching wasn't going to do much, and he realized that love had to heal the wounds, and that love had to come from Jesus because there wasn't any other source. You know, there's false sources today, but Jesus is the only source of true divine love. So does love grow? And the answer to that is yes, but how does it grow? And again, repetition, love is a process. Love is a relationship. Love is capable of large and steady growth. And if we ever get our minds off of the fact that love is not just a feeling, the curlers in her hair and all of this stuff and everything is just going wrong and you don't feel right real good <laughs> well you don't think you love her that's why there's a lot of divorces today is because the feelings drop <laughs> well it ought to go deeper than that and God is telling us it ought to go deeper than that feelings are pickle they're dependent on your health on your morale on your circumstances amen that's why you have just a lot of people that just running around out here, and I'm going to say especially men, <laughs> that just want to do their own thing, and if circumstances not just right, why then they just can't love. That's all there is to it. They just can't love. But circumstances, as far as God's love is concerned, does not have to be right. God loved in spite of circumstances. God loved in spite of morale. He loved in spite of any health whatsoever. He loved. Love is a commitment. When I married my wife, I made a commitment. I made a commitment to love her when she didn't have any teeth. <laughs> I mean, uh, I made a commitment to love her if she got as big as a barn. <laughs> I made a commitment to love her, and that was a commitment. Now, I guarantee you, it had to grow. <laughs> Amen. It, it had to grow. <laughs> Stay right in there, sister. I've eaten supper, and I, you forget it for the time breakfast is over. <laughs> but you imagine this. It had to do the same thing on her. She met a young man, stout and trim and wavy black hair and uh, all, all of this and uh, weighed about 175, 180 pounds and uh, she loved him. But whenever his hair began to fall out and <laughs> it began to get gray and his borders enlarged, that love had to grow or she'd never been able to do it. Amen. When the chest dropped, <laughs> when it come easy to carry it on the belt and then to hold it up here, she had to still grow. If love hadn't grown, She'd have been gone. 
Amen. That's, that's what the Apostle Paul said. Now, it, it's got to grow. It's a commitment. It's a commitment to the other person's welfare. Not your own. It's not an attraction to somebody else's charms. It's a commitment to the other person's welfare. And love is at its best stays steady, even under the most adverse circumstances. Even when things are not going right, and you might get irritated a little bit about that, but the love is still there. You've learned that it is love. And you've learned that irritation is not going to destroy. You've learned that. That's, that's God's love. So love is a process. Love is a relationship. Love is a commitment. Uh, love can increase. and Love can abound when we see people as God sees those people. And we do have to see people as God sees them. That way you'll be able to love. Love's not something that just leaks out and evaporates. There's something about it, it just won't do it. Real love doesn't disappear. It has no substance. It can drain away and be lost. It's just not there. It involves commitment to treat the other person fully as a person. And what is needed for love to grow is not just romance. It's not just affection, but it's God's grace. God's grace. Amen. <laughs> So turn around, some of you look at your wife and husband and realize, <laughs> oh, it's God's grace that keeps us together. That's why I can look at you. It's God's grace. A lot of people, a lot of men, women, have not learned how to do that. Simply have not. It's broke up a lot of marriages, and I'm sorry for that. But God's grace will do that, but it takes two to be able to do it. Love grows as love is enjoyed and as it shares. You can't just enjoy Love is something you can't just enjoy and keep. It just won't stay. But it has to be shared. Paul hints at this when he prays that the new believers will grow or increase and get rich in love one toward another and to all men. Love grows extensively and intensively. Year after year, we become more, more in love with God. And if we become more in love with God, we become more in love with one another. And we desire what is best for the loved one. And when we do that, our capacity for understanding and love expands. And Paul notes this. When he says it begins with one another. Now let's look at this real carefully. How many individuals have you heard profess that they love people out here in this world is not a brother or sister, and that their love extends to them, and yet they don't love one another. And the Apostle Paul says that is just words. He says here that is humanly impossible. He says love begins with one another, and then it reaches out to all men. It starts at home. I'll say it again, it starts at home. And if we can't love at home, you can't love outside. So how does love grow? It's fed by the love of Christ. It all comes back, back to Jesus again. And it grows until it's large enough even to include our own enemies. And Paul lists no exceptions. He says to all men. He prayed that including the enemies that only live to do you harm. I thought, now God, I don't know about that. Uh, that, that one there I'll have to think of. I love my wife. And I love my children. 
And I love church people. And I love some people out in this world. But are you expecting me to love these individuals that run around and no other purpose in their life other than to do me harm? And yet if the Apostle Paul, if I read him right, he's telling us that the love of God has got to grow and increase until we become so rich in that that we can actually do that. We may not like what they're doing, but we have to love them. We have to love them as somebody that you want to see saved. What does love do? Closing words, I think, of the Apostle Paul's prayer answers this question. Notice what he prays. To the end, he may establish your heart unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Love will cause us to live God's way. And it will establish our heart. It will cause us to do things God's way, different from the ways of the world, regardless of how much flesh cries. Remember, to love Jesus is to love that for which he died, humanity. And that's the one source of test of whether we have the agape or agape love of Jesus Christ in our life is to can we love as he loved? Can we look out at humanity and feel inside? I have tested myself since I've been dealing with this, which has been quite some time. I have tested myself in these areas. The best way to find out uh, these things is to try it on yourself. And I have tested myself as I have looked out I have been in stores, or sometimes I've sat in parking lots, and I've watched people scurry about like ants, each one doing a different thing. You see some with a smile on their face, you see some happy. You see some little ones, you see some big ones, you see some fat ones, you see some skinny ones, you see some bald-headed ones, and some of them covered with hair, and all of this, and you see all of them, and, and you don't know. You think, what's on their mind? What's life mean to them? Do they know anything about Jesus? And when you stop to think about the love of God and as you survey those people, you must realize at one time Jesus stood and surveyed humanity. And he must have asked the same question, are they worthy for me to die for them? And of course the answer came back a resounding no. They was not worthy. We wasn't worthy for Jesus to die for us. Riches meant nothing to him. Man could not buy salvation, could not then and still can't. And so as he surveyed humanity, what made Jesus then die for individuals though they were not worthy? It's because he looked down and saw and saw them as sheep scattered abroad having not a shepherd and realized there had to be a way to salvage humanity. Otherwise, in that death would be their doom. There would be no way. And so he looked and said, they're not worthy, but I'll die. And I've looked at that at times. I've become weary with ministering. I've become weary with fighting the powers of the enemy. And I know my death would mean nothing. Shedding my blood would mean nothing. But I realize also as Jesus had a commitment, as he had a purpose on this earth, I realize that I too have a purpose on this earth. And so do you. 
Each one different, perhaps, but you have a reason. And that reason is to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I become weary at that and I stop sometimes, and sometimes purposely, and I still do once in a while, I'll have a reason to go t to town or a reason to go someplace. And I have a reason to notice individuals. Notice the sad one. And there's something that stirs inside my spirit that says if God loved me that much to mount the cross of sin and shame to die for them and paid his commitment, then I love them that much to be able to do what I can, what little thing I can do, and impart to them what little that God has called me to do. I'll love them that much. And when I say that, there's something that changes inside here that makes me actually, if I knew that it wouldn't embarrass them, sometimes it makes me actually just want to go put my arms around them and say, God loves you, and I love you too. Because when you make this statement, there's something changes inside of you. And you say, what is it? It's the love of God. It's the Holy Ghost taking over, and place has nothing else to do with it. And you're loving then as God loves. Love will bring a quality in our life that will last because love lasts. Love for things is going to perish. Whatever we accumulate, and there's nothing wrong with getting what you can to enjoy those things. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you don't take away from God. But those things, you know it as well as I do, those things are going to perish. But love for persons, for people, is going to last because one of these days, if you love enough, and you love enough to salvage the soul, you're going to see that soul on the other side in the kingdom of God. And while things is not going to mean anything to you, the person that you have salvaged with the love of God will mean something. Most of what we do is destined to become dust, but love will still survive. I've got a quote here from David Hubbard. He was an author, he was a builder, and he was a minister. And he wrote these words, and I like them enough to pin them and write them down. The books that I write are not what really counts. They could end up on some dusty, unused, and forgotten shelf somewhere. My sermons dressed in all their finery, powdered and sprinkled with all the wit and intellect that is in me, will last at the most only for a short span of time. The buildings I build will look good for a while, and then they'll fade and they'll come. But the love that I give and share, I will see again in eternity. And then he adds this, along with faith and hope, it counts. And I looked at that, and then I turned where the Apostle Paul called love one of the greatest of the three, faith, hope, and charity. And he says, charity or love is greater than faith, and it's greater than hope. I looked at that and I pinned this down. I think that means, and I think it's the same to me, that I should give a little more attention to love and what it means to love than I do. And I think God is asking As humanity, try to understand. Try to feel. Try to live in the and in doing this, shall be supposed. When nothing else will be supposed. 
when human love fails, divine love. Why? Because divine love is patient. Divine love don't give up. Divine love keeps praying. Divine love keeps believing. Divine love stays at And this is what salvation is so. There's a song. You probably, I don't know if you have it or not, and I don't know if you can sing it or use it or not, but it's been going over my, in my mind all day. It says, love is the end. When nothing else could help, love. I don't know about you, but love not only lifted, but love still lifts me. I mean, when there's no good words from the lips of humanity, and when there's times when I can't even do anything to keep myself, and I go before God, He kind of just puts me in His arms, presses me to His bosom, says, It's all right. It's all right. You you did your best. Now then, we're going to give up. Get up. Not give up. We're going to get up. We're going to wipe these tears from your eyes. You're going to stand here in my presence for a little while. I'm going to love you. And I'm going to change you out. Again. And you're going to do the best you can. And then when you call again, I'll come and take care of your skin knees, your skin head. Does anybody know any part of that song?